I also made the case for owning Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. Scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply by its design. The total quantity of Bitcoins cannot exceed 21 million. Bitcoin is the hardest money that has ever been invented. If you don't have my private key, you cannot spend my Bitcoin, period. And this is the power of Bitcoin. It's the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession of with full custodial rights. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking in Bits. I'm very excited about this episode, just like I am excited for most of these episodes, because we're going to go a little bit different here. Uh, we may talk about Bitcoin, we may not, but there's more important things, in my opinion, or one of the important things that needs to be addressed in society nowadays is sound food, along with sound money. And I'm very glad to have Sam here from Shirttail Creek. What's up, Sam? Hey, man. Very nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, quick story on you. Uh, uh, well, on Shirttail and then how I met you for the listeners. Um, I came to Austin in July. Um, we started, yeah, as most people who come to Texas is take, you know, go to the farmer's market. Yeah. It's kind of like on the top of the list that you should do. Sure. Um, so we started out on the hunt for good eggs. Um, that was something I'm from Massachusetts. That was something up there that I mean, it wasn't impossible to find, but you weren't really just going to drive down the street and get it. Right. Um, so we went through, um, Mueller's farmer's market and that was, everybody told us that's the one to go to. We got eggs from a few different farmers, but I couldn't tell. And I actually remember telling this to my wife, how do I know that this egg here was not just bought at the H-E-B across the street, packaged into a, a you know, an egg carton, yeah. and then given to me here. reason I say that is because I saw no difference in those eggs. Not in flavor, not in look. Um, fast forward a few weeks later, we saw a shirt tail stand there. I asked the guy the same question. I don't remember the gentleman's name, uh, but he was like, hey, you, you just, you know, take one of these home and then come back. I'm going to be here next week and you let me know. <laughs> I was like, all right, I, I got nothing to lose. So I picked up the eggs. Uh, first thing I noticed, which is, I know you get this a lot, Orange, yeah. orange yolk, yeah. very noticeable, very different. Signs of a healthy egg, but I, I think I've heard you say that that's not actually a fact. We'll right. get into that. Yeah. Um, and then from there, just kept going. Shirt tail, eggs are the best. Keep recommending them to everybody I know. Everybody else agrees. And then I meet you at the farmer's market, and here we are. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So did you want to... Did you... Did you let's, let's not start with the eggs. Let's, let's, okay. let's start with Sam. Let's start with your background. <laughs> Uh, and how you got here. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I went to, I grew up in the suburbs of Houston, came to UT Austin uh, back in 1998, went to University of Texas at Austin. Um, and after graduation, I stayed here, worked in radio for a few years at Clear Channel and uh, in promotions and, and had, a, had a weekend on-air gig for a while. Nice. And uh, and then from there, I, I pivoted to a digital advertising business that I ended up becoming a partner in and it's called Red McCombs Media. Red McCombs was a, a partner in that business. If you don't know, Red McCombs is like a well-known Texas billionaire. Uh, he's, you know, Red McCombs School of Business at UT, whatever. Yeah. Great guy, great family. Um, and um, so I was a part of that. Um, and uh, we sold that business in 09 and uh, stayed on for a few years there. And then I left and, 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 uh, I'd promised myself that I was going to leave and go and sort of craft a life that was more uh, what I wanted it to be. And, and, you know, and so I left, started flipping houses, you know, I'd go to the courthouse, whatever. 
Then I started my own advertising business for a few years. That did pretty good. And, you know, I was independent like I wanted to be. But my wife and I were like living in a nice house. You had, you know, good, good business, good freedoms in life. But we just weren't really fulfilled by the life we were leading. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you know, the car, the house, all that stuff is not really what makes you happy. I think most people realize that. People that don't realize it, they will before too long. And um, so we talked about having a farm for years. And one weekend, we'd had, we had our, our little kids, three and one, and we went to Callahan's Feed Store over uh, East Austin to go see the baby goats and stuff. And, and I had horses and stuff. I grew up riding, and we had a little piece of land out in Smithville with our horses and stuff. And so we'd go out once in a while. And anyway, my wife uh, that weekend said, you know, I think I'm ready to move to a farm. And get yeah. out of the city. And so I immediately I'm like, yeah. So anyway, we, I jumped on that. We found our, our place and um, fell in love with it. Moved to the farm in 2017. Not with really any intention of starting an actual commercial farming operation where we were going to make a living off of it. I still had the ad business going. I was working off my laptop more or less. And... Um, but we get out there, and and my ad, the advertising business was going through a lot of changes. And in that business, you have to constantly be evolving with the business. It's exhausting. It's it's you can't. It's not like having a shoe store. You're just like I'm just gonna sell shoes. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> no, everything it just changes rapidly all the time. And and so what we had really been doing, distributing our video technology on different apps and websites, was becoming harder and harder to monetize, and the margins were smaller. And, and, uh, and so I realized like I either needed to reinvent that business or do something different. And I really wasn't passionate about that business. And so I'm sitting there on this farm and I'm like, well, I just bought this 115 acre farm. <laughs> I mean, maybe I can do something here, you know? Yeah. I can't grow row crops on 115 acres. It's not big enough for that. And I don't even know how to do that. And so I start kind of searching for stuff and, and, uh, we, we got some cows and, and, uh, you know, one thing after another, a bunch of YouTube videos and books later. And, and, you know, we, we, there we are with a few hundred chickens and then a few thousand chickens and, you know, and uh, yeah, you know, here we are today. So it's been an evolution. Yeah. Now you knew, or it sounded like you knew that, like you said, the marketing just wasn't what you wanted to do. Or you weren't, you know, it wasn't on the top of your list. Now was actually owning a farm and doing it that way, just more of a, like, was it pulling you more gravitationally that way? So you didn't know, you knew you didn't want to do this, but did you know you wanted to have the farm or is that just? Well, I think one big rub I always had with the digital advertising business was that there was always a question of whether or not I was really delivering value to anybody. Mm, interesting. Um, and I mean, there was obviously because, you know, money came in and you, you that's compensation for value that's provided to the marketplace. But, um, you know, I, and also it was like a, a, not a tangible product at all. And I, I really, I don't know, for some reason, I really longed to produce something I could hold in my hand and be proud mm. of that had some artisanal quality to it. And actually my first thought was not to start a farm, but to start a whiskey distillery. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and I may still do that one day. Um, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but I, I didn't, and we, we, we pursued the farm instead, but it was really important to us that, you know, we upheld our own standards and, and, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been an evolution in terms of what we thought it would be when we started to what it's become now. Yeah. You know, 
Right. So, so you went in with very little experience uh, on farming. I mean, like, did you know how to zero zero? Yeah. Interesting. I, uh, I'll tell you uh, what is it. But you knew you wanted that. Like, no, well, your wife did. In a combination of the two, you guys knew you wanted to go in that. I direction. knew I wanted to live out uh, away from the city gotcha. in nature. And then when we got out there, there's a guy that had cattle on the place. And I said, listen, I, I want to have my own cattle. He said, well, buy mine. I said, okay. And then I had <laughs> calves. And then we fed the calves and uh, grass-fed only and and started processing them and, and then selling beef. And I, and I really fell in love with the, the beef program on our farm is my favorite thing by far. My wife is like CEO of, of chicken, everything, all things chicken and eggs <laughs> on the farm. And I'm more of a ruminant guy, I guess. But... But yeah, it, it, it evolved for sure. Yeah. And, you know, but I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Five and a half years ago, I'd never owned a chicken or a cow. Right. Okay. So just literally zero to learn as you go. And what was it? YouTube books? That's what you said a little while ago? Or? Yeah. Without YouTube, I don't know how anybody get anything <laughs> done anymore. You know what I mean? That's true. It's funny <laughs> you say that because I was uh, sitting down in a podcast with um, uh, John from uh, Amber Oaks and uh, similar. He's like, I just YouTubed everything. Mm -hmm. uh, now, my question would be is, is... The answer may be trial and error, but basically, did, did YouTube ever take you down some roads that you now had to regress and then learn again uh, on methods and skills? Because um, that's the danger in YouTube is yeah. you could go down the wrong uh, set of videos or a hole. And you know, there's a bunch of farmers that have really good YouTube channels that are basically, you know, intended for people like me starting a farm to be able to learn from. And and and, and so, no, I wouldn't say so. I would say that, you know, like you do when you start a business, I watched all the content. I kind of figured out, well, what does chicken feed cost? And how many eggs to a day or a year do chickens lay? And um, what's mortality look like? And what's egg packaging materials? And how much labor is it going to be to pack eggs? And so I estimate all these things and put it in a spreadsheet like you do. Yeah. And it looked like an okay business. And then we started the business. And, you know, we got really cranking on it. And it wasn't a very good business because, you know, uh, predation, you know, was worse than we thought. And the heat stress in the summer was worse than we th thought. And in the beginning, we didn't have good mitigation practices in place to help the birds uh, deal with that. And so we've learned a lot along the way. Now, five and a half, almost six years later, I can sit here and, and like, I could, I could tell myself back then a lot of things I would have done different, but sure. You know, it's not like I kind of knew how to do this. And then went off on my own. It's like, I just, yeah. I mean, looking back, it's kind of bonkers. You know? Yeah. I'm thinking about like, yeah, all the trial and error that must have t taken place. Um, now, have you ever thought about like taking what you've learned and doing it more educational now, like to pay it forward? Or do you think it's uh, something you're not really interested in doing? Well, I, you know, we don't, I'm very much, uh, uh, I very much want to help people and, and we, other farms will contact us who want to come visit and share ideas. Um, and, and we're in touch with lots of other farms and, and we talk about, you know, Hey, what was your experience planting this, these oats at this time of year and this kind of soil and whatnot. And what, and you know, other farms will contact us about like, well, Hey, what kind of machine do you use for washing your eggs? And, you know, so yeah, we're very much open. And like, I don't see other farms as competitors. Like there's enough yes. pie for all of us to have a piece. So, the, and, and that's pretty much the sense that I've gotten from most other farms. When we were starting off, like Coyote Creek and Elgin, super helpful. You know, they've got like 25,000 hens. They sell the Whole Foods and stuff and their eggs. And, 
and 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 they're great. They're a, a farm that really pays it forward big time, and so we want to do the same. We don't, I don't have an organized like you know educational program for that, sure. but but yeah, for sure, that's it's important that we're generous with our knowledge and and you know help people like we got helped. Amazing. So what's the and throughout this journey of of just learning how to you know do farming and do it cor- uh, correctly. Um, what what do you think is the biggest difference you've gained since, uh, let's say, your previous life versus this life now? Uh, and it could be family, like, or it could just be personal. Well, I will say that you know, in the in my previous life in digital advertising, that's a business that is twenty four seven, three sixty five. You've got ad campaigns running. You've got, you know ad server discrepancies or, you know, client issues or a problem with the creative or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I'd be on vacation and have like a big deal falling apart. And I'd just be like, you know, about to puke my guts out and I'm sitting on the beach in Turks and Caicos yeah, with my family yeah. or something on a family reunion or something. And, uh, and so, and that wasn't fun. And also like I was, I enjoyed making money, but I really wasn't passionate about that work whereas the farm is also 24/7 365 right. but it's it's way more fulfilling and i and you know and we're caring for living creatures and for our land and we're feeding a community of people and ourselves and so it feels way more meaningful so somehow if it's christmas and i've got to be out in the mud fixing a broken water line which is exactly what i was doing this last <laughs> christmas uh with with carlos my main guy on the farm who was also helping me on christmas bless his soul it's like way easier for me to swallow than if i was you know dealing with some you know ad issue on you know in, in the in the digital advertising space before so yeah how much of that in that experience there do you think is the the, the physical uh job of doing it versus the non-physical aspect of basically doing the marketing which will probably be on a cell phone or would be on a computer yeah uh, but here fixing the water main it, you're not shortcutting that you're physically doing that you're physically doing it yeah there's something like more evolutionarily that's what uh, I mean. Yeah. Appropriate or natural about what I do now versus me being on the computer and, and you know, all the yeah. time. Yeah, man. Uh, it's yeah, for sure. I, and I would say like just living in the country and doing what we do, uh, you know, mental clarity and health overall is way better, you know, because, you know, in, in the city, there's so much just parking and getting in here. It's like, there's so much stressful stimuli going on around you. Sure is. And, yeah. uh, I wake up and like talk to animals most of the time. Yeah. So sounds amazing. No, but you know, the part of the appeal for me is the lifestyle that comes along with what we do. Yeah. And it's no joke. I mean, it's not a vacation. People are like, Oh, I live in the dream. I'm like, yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's got its ups and downs, but like I overall net net, I, I, I love it. You know? Yeah. Now, and uh, and I actually want to ask you about the marketing side. I have uh, a little bit of background in marketing too, and I wanted to ask you said. But um, let's just circle on like anybody. Let's just say me or anybody that wants to get started with you know that type of uh, of living. Now, you know, you bought the farm. You had some cattle. You kind of had a head start in that sense, even though you paid for it. So it's not really yeah. a head start. What if somebody's starting with absolutely nothing besides the idea? Where would you point them, or what would you instruct them to do? Well. You need some sort of piece of land to farm on, and you don't have to have a lot of land. Like, 
for cattle, you need quite a bit of land. Um, and, but, you know, uh, an acre of produce can produce a lot of produce, right? And so if you can, if you can come up with five acres, you know, you could run some pigs and have a pretty good, you know, garden and run some broilers and produce chicken, pork and produce and, and have bees and do honey. I mean, there's a lot you can do on, sure. on a few acres. Um, and, you know, if you, you need to come out to the farm, just driving through the farm, you see, we've got like, you know, pigs over here, chickens over here, cattle over there, and it's always rotating. It's a, it's, it's an orchestrated, you know, mm. orchestrated chaos or whatever. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say like <clears throat> the, there are different ways to get going. Beef would not be the best thing to start with if you're going off on your own. Um, but, and that's why a lot of people go with produce and or chicken or pork to start off because they're, and also chicken and pork are, are quicker, uh, cash flow generators. Like the, the amount of time it takes from beginning until you're monetizing it is, is quicker than it would be with beef or. Yeah. You know. Um, well, it's just, you don't have to give exact numbers, but uh, a pig compared to a cow, what's that time frame looking like? Well, a pig can comfortably have, you know, some people would say three litters a year, but let's say two litters a year. So mm -hmm. if you've got one sow and if you start off with one sow and, and let's say you get her bred with somebody's boar, you use artificial insemination, you go to the vet and, and get her bred. Um, let's say she has 10 piglets, which is not outside of the realm of possibility. She can do that twice a year, mm. <clears throat> 20 pigs a year. That's your first year. You might not be able to sell all that pork. You know I mean? It's right. so, so yeah. And, but you know, the, the work and, and the feed and moving them around and, and it, it's work, but I mean, it's totally doable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I know you said, uh, so you get 20 of them, but like, I don't even know how to word this. So like. How long do they have to, what's their life window before you have to butcher them? I guess um, is what I'm trying to ask. I'd say about eight months. Eight months. The piglets, yeah. Okay. And is there like a expiration to that? Like if it goes to 12, then you kind of waste no, a... no, you can do that. But the, the problem is, is there's a point at which pigs only gain fat and no more meat, no more muscle. Gotcha. So you're really just costing yourself money. And also you're going to pay the butcher based on the car, the hanging weight of that carcass whenever you process it. So it's going to, if you wait too long, it's going to cost you more to process than animal. And mm -hmm. you're going to get the same amount of dollars out of it. Return. Gotcha. Yeah. And then a, a cow is? Cows can, I mean... <sighs> We don't have generally the trouble of getting them too fat um, because on a grass finishing operation, you're not going to see the kind of uh, average daily gains that you'd see in a feedlot or a grain finished operation. So I don't know, we might average a pound and a half, pound and three quarters a day across the period that we have the cattle. Whereas like in feedlots, they're looking at, you know, three, four pounds a day a gain. Shit. It's yeah, but they're feeding like a really high grain ration that's intended to just bulk them up. And really, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's really producing a metabolically unhealthy animal. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. would not live long if it was, if it, and Will Harris talks about that when he was on the Rogan podcast, you know, you know, they, if you just, it's an interesting point to make, but you know, in, in a grain finishing operation, uh, in a feedlot op environment, uh, on, on a high grain ration like they are, those animals would not be healthier, live a really long time. Whereas on a grass finishing operation like we're on, it's a natural diet they're supposed to eat. And, you know, they, they should be able to live a normal lifespan if we didn't take them to the butcher. Yeah. So which right. animal do you want to eat? <laughs> right, right. Well, now you got me down the uh, interesting rabbit. So I just picked up from you uh, about an A for whatever. And yeah. 
That's the first. An eighth of beef. Beef. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Got to be more clear with that. Uh, but what I've uh, this is the first time I've tried grass finished. Yeah. And since I've got here, it's not that anybody, you know, lied. It's just I never asked the question. Yeah. Like, is it gra- uh, green finish or grass finish? So um, I've been buying green finish this whole time. Although it's good, there's obviously, I tried one of your ribeyes yesterday. There's obviously a clear difference and it's a better clear difference in yeah. my opinion. Um, where do you lie in that uh, in that discussion? I wouldn't even say it's an argument versus it does matter if the animal is grass finished versus, oh, if it's grass fed most of its life and then grain finished, that's just as good. Do, do you have a opinion on that take? Um, yeah. I, I, so, you know, there's people that have talked about this um, nutritionally uh, in terms of protein content and, you know, vitamins and minerals and stuff. I, I think you're fundamentally the same either way. Um, but what happens is with uh, a grain finished animal, they're eating a diet that is rich in, in polyunsaturated fatty acids. And um, those things get stored in their fat. And those uh, PUFAs or whatever um, can be detrimental to people's health. And so it's definitely a, a better for you to eat grass finished beef. And it's also more natural. I mean, you just think, you just. Think about how we were evolved to eat and how those ruminant animals were evolved to eat. And is it natural to take an animal, put it in a confinement feeding operation for however long, 90 days, I don't know, and, um, and feed them this like corn, cotton seed, you know, whatever kind of stuff they put in the ration. Um, you know, urea is, is a source of protein uh, that they use, which is urea. It's not like a something we're evolved to convert. Um, so would you rather eat that or an animal that's eating a forage-based diet? You know, um, it's, uh, yeah. And, and you know, there's people that they want, like the American consumer has been conditioned to want that decadent, decadent highly marbled, you know, ribeye mm. from, from like the, 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 state, the downtown steakhouse, Ruth Chris or whatever. And that's, that's an eating experience that some people have come to expect and they want. It's not necessarily the way beef ever used to be. Yeah. Um, it's what we've made it. And so, and it's funny, and that differs country to country because if you go somewhere like, I don't know, Brazil or Argentina, I'm not saying there's not marbled beef, but they tend to prize leaner beef more than we do here. Interesting. And yeah, uh, yeah that's a whole, it's pretty fascinating how, how the, the, the preferences vary by by different countries. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's, you're also right about the conditioning because until I've started eating this way, since I've been in Texas, basically, yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Um, I always thought that, yeah, the more marble, the better the steak was. That's just something that I just grew up knowing. Um, and then, once again, the grain finish tasted well, but now I'm on a journey to get, yeah. you know, and it makes sense to me that, that the nutrition of that, you know, ribeye that you're about to eat I would hate to say must be better than the grain finish, but it kind of seems like it should be better than the grain finish. I'd say it's it's surely cleaner. Right? Cleaner. That's the word, the term I'm looking for, right? Yeah. But macros wise, it's probably just about the same. I think I think I think that is pretty well documented that it's 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 pretty much the same in terms of you know your protein con- content and your basic macronutrients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, in terms of the cleanliness of the product and um, and I don't know, I I think. Uh, Another thing that happens is, um, so uh, you have 
crops that are grown with the use of, you know, uh, glyphosate and other herbicides and, you know, corn is a big one. Um, and when you use a lot of like glyphosate, for example, it's, it's, it inhibits, um, the absorption of certain metals, uh, by the plants. And so you actually get, when you grow like in traditional row crop operations, um, you often see a, a lower, when people talk about nutrient density, uh, plants that are grown in soil that's you got repeated applications of these herbicides um, have a hard time absorbing the all the nutrients that would otherwise be available to them in the, in the soil because those things tie up the metals in the soil. Mm. Um, and so when animals in a feedlot are fed that corn or whatever uh, that, that was grown that way, they're also getting less of that. So I think when you talk about wanting to eat really nutrient-dense food, which we do, um, yeah, properly grass-finished beef is, is going to be superior to a feedlot grain-finished uh, animal in terms of uh, nutrient density, in terms of some of those, I don't know, micronutrients, I don't know what you call them. Sure. Yeah. So historically before, um, you know, shirts on the farm, were you always worried about good food, and nutrition, or is that just as it comes well, I, I was fitness conscious okay. and I thought I was being healthy. I worked out and I'd eat greens and I'd go to the Whole Foods hot bar and eat lunch and, <laughs> and all that stuff. But then you start realizing like there's seed oils and almost all that stuff. And the greens, I don't know, I just ate them because I thought I was supposed to. And, you know, about a little over a year ago, I kind of just started eating animal based. Um, and so I pretty much cut out sugars, grains, seed oils for sure. And most plant foods aside from, I eat a lot of fruit and like some squash and zucchini and stuff, but, and, and I've noticed a big difference and I really just primarily eat beef. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? So <laughs> I was going to ask you that, is animal based mean like you're on the strict, the carnivore side or is it more lenient on? No, I mean, I, I eat, I eat beef yeah. and some beef organs, liver and heart, and then eggs, fruit, uh, raw dairy, honey, um, and yeah, that's kind of it. That seems like a good, comfortable sweet spot, at least for me. Like, yeah. I think, like, I've tried the actual, like, carnivore only, which is just, like, beef, salt, and water or whatever. Right, and it's, yeah. It's like, Jesus, that's it's pretty hardcore. It's super hardcore. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like the bait, like, hey, can I get some raw milk? No, nah, technically you can't because it's not. And I'm like, well, this is tough, right? So I couldn't really do well with that. And I think animal-based is a pretty comfortable sweet spot without having to crave, you know, like the sugars and all that stuff. So. I mean, it's funny because, well, I'll say this, you know, the people that are really hardcore carnivore are usually doing it because they're trying to correct some autoimmune or inflammatory issues they've got. Yeah. They just haven't been able to, to nip in the bud. And so I think for certain people going that route is the right thing to do. Um, but, but for me going animal based, you know, I've got some gum, uh, gum issues, uh, you know, uh, gum disease, I guess, inflammation of the gums. Yep. That's like, you know, not a, not a good thing long-term. It can be connected to a lot of stuff. And so that was my, the, the reason why I decided to jump in and make the change. But, you know, once you do it, it's not that hard. And, and then you realize like, all I'm doing is eliminating some of the worst possible stuff I could be eating. Right. Seed oils, sugars, uh, grains. I mean, I, you know, I think the seed oils and the, in the processed sugars are the biggest thing. Yeah. So it's like, is it weird or is it just like 
something that's more evolutionarily appropriate for my body, you know? True. And, yeah. and so, yeah, that's, I don't know if it's weird, but it's hard. Because yeah. of society. I'm not saying, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, like once you get into a groove, I understand what you're saying. You're in the groove and yeah. you kind of realize that that's poison. This is actually really good. Yeah. Um, but I, I still think for the majority, including myself and that and that account, um, just like learning anew and not be falling into the, yeah. you know, especially with kids, you have kids. It's just like this whole like. We got into a habit for a while where it was, you know, uh, at the end of the week, you receive a prize and the prize is probably like a baked treat or right. like a donut or right. something like that. Yeah. And it's like that stuff, you know, can be fixed. And once you're flowing, you're flowing. But I think pivoting over is the hardest part for most people. Well, for me, it's been OK, but I'm not going to say I didn't get some pushback in the, in the house. And, and by the <laughs> way, I'm the only one that's like you know, doing this. I mean, and, okay. and it's like, I don't want to tell my kids they can't have a piece of pizza. Sure. You know, I want them to grow up and think for themselves. But for me, where I'm at in my life, it's the right thing. My wife loves greens, loves sourdough bread, loves yeah. sugar, whatever. And so, you know, it's, it's definitely like, we're not like a family that's all unified on this, but yeah. for me, it's, it's clear as day. Yeah. Do you find um, that you, because of those choices, you're a little bit more antisocial? Well, I was already pretty antisocial. Okay, fair. Uh, so no, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I would, it, it, it would maybe inhibit that a little bit. Now, I'm not so hardcore that I won't have a drink. Sure. Or have a cup of coffee once in a while. So it's like, I can go to a party and have a glass of whiskey, you know. I just, you know, try to moderate that stuff. Yeah. But, um, and honestly, if it's my kid's birthday, I'm going to have a piece of chocolate cake. Yeah. I'm okay. just not going to, you know. <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for. I'm like, damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, you know, but I just, like, used to be, I just, I kept cookies in the house because I liked cookies. Sure, I see. And, you know, and, and I would eat, like, peanut butter foldovers all the time. And, yeah. You know, and so I just, whatever. But, yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's been, the farmer's market is what educated me on that because so many of my customers are, hardcore, you know, uh, into fitness and nutrition and, and talking to these people at, at first, I'm like, oh, okay, this is like a fad. Maybe I don't know. Sure. And then after a couple of years, I'm like, oh, there's some validity to this stuff. And like, there if is. you listen to Paul Saladino talk about, uh, you know, carnivore diet or animal based eating, I mean, he the guy makes a lot of really educated, good points that are kind of hard to, and it's, it's an inconvenient truth, but like yeah. seed oils are not good for you. I yeah. can sit here and look at you and tell you that. For, and seed oils are in just about everything, even if it's organic. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what are we doing? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I've unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, I'm very thankful for who my parents are and having them. But I grew up in the household where it was like open refrigerator policy, right? Where it's like they would, and actually this is a whole different conversation, but I actually attribute that to like, you know, we were poor. So whenever my dad finally figured it out, I, I would say, like he was still probably saying he was poor, but like they would chuck the fridge full of food. Uh -huh. And I think it was a sign to them as parents, as right. our kids are eating, we're doing much better than we were, say, six months ago. Right. So I wanted to give them that credit. But yeah, it was literally like, you know, grab whatever you want, pints of, you know, sugar-filled juices and, and this whole problem. So I always had a weight problem, mm -hmm. always dealt with that. And to this day, I tell my wife, like, I have a bad relationship with food. Mm -hmm. Now, the best I've ever felt is being out here in Texas and actually, you know, getting nutritional food from yeah. the farmer's market, doing it the right way. So I agree. I think there's just way too much evidence to discredit it. Um, but to me, I still battle with, I guess, those temptations, bad, those bad tendencies yeah. that, you know, like, like you'll have that, you know, that Friday where you're just like, 
I know I probably shouldn't have the donut with the kids, but let's bring it up. Yeah. Hey, wife, you know what I'm saying? What do you think about grabbing a donut? And then she's going to say, sure. So, the, and, and then you just know it's a bad tendency. Like, yeah. you know, it's not even a smart decision, but you know, that whole, like, I work hard thing, all that stuff. I battle with that, that side of it. But you know, that's a natural part of the, your own evolution and, yeah. and you, your way of thinking. They talk about, and this is, I'm not, this isn't a apples to apples, but I, I they've talked about with, um, People with like uh, addiction uh, or eating disorders or whatever that they're trying to correct, it's like people will make improvements and then fall back and make improvements and yeah. fall back. And over the, a period of time, like all of those things add up to measurable progress. Yeah. And so like, you know, if you're being mindful about your food and you're eating good and then you go do the donut and then maybe you're like, ah, I don't know if that was really worth it or not or whatever. That's all part of that process for mm, you. Interesting. You know, yeah. and, and if, if you want to get to that place where you don't want the donut anymore or or whatever, then I, I think it's just a matter of time. But, you know, it's like our society isn't struggling with obesity and, and uh, you know, disease, chronic disease and all this stuff because somebody had a donut once a month, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's because they go to the the grocery store and fill it up with Kool-Aid squirters and, you know, Hot Pockets <laughs> and and Coke and yeah. all like, and it, it, that. Like, not to derail our conversation, but, like, that's the thing that I always come back to when people are like, oh, your stuff's too expensive. It's like, well, I don't know. Where are people's priorities? Because I go to the store and I see people with a cart full of water and plastic bottles Buy a Brita, get it out of the freaking, this isn't like, you know, <laughs> yeah. the third world country. You can drink the water, you filter it maybe. Uh, sugary stuff. It's like all the processed foods. Yeah. What do you really need, you know? But yeah. Anyway. No, and the, the good, I've heard this plenty of times, which is like, would you, you know, you pay for it up front or you pay for it after. Yeah. Like it's yeah. up to you. Like, you know, it's pricier up front. But you get health benefits. Yeah. Or you fuck yourself over and then 10 to 15 years from now you're having diabetes or something that's much more expensive. You're going to be paying it at the pharmacy. Yeah. And you're going to look back and go, man, I wish I could have gotten myself, you know, on a better path a long time ago. Absolutely. That's the thing. It's like my folks generation all smoked. Yeah. And and drank pretty heavily relative to what is considered acceptable these days. Yeah. Which, which, is, which is, seems to change every 10 years or so. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. yeah. It used to be two drinks a day was okay. And then now it's like none. Yeah. <laughs> but now they're like, no, just don't. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, it, it smoking and that was like, so I, I don't know. Uh, I forgot what point I was trying to make, but yeah, yeah. The, the thinking evolves over time. Yeah. And they were, you know, back to my parents' generation, they were, for the most part, they were pretty good. Um, so, you know, the seed oil introduction and all that, basically the attack on what I call the U.S. citizen through food. Yeah. What do you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you like correlate it to numerous different things? Is it just... The money, is it a fiat thing ultimately? Because you can obviously point back to leaving the gold standard, getting on a fiat standard, introduction of seed oils, the uh, um, the hate versus the fat, right? Like that whole thing kind of just works itself together. It's not even like a long period of time. So what's your biggest thoughts on what I would call the attack, maybe in the grocery store, maybe in the fast food all over on the typical U.S. citizen when it comes to their food? Well... I'm not an expert on this, but it's it seems to be pretty well documented that, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money uh, selling Crisco instead of animal lard right. and Velveeta instead of real cheese. And, 
so on and so forth, margarine instead of butter and all these things. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think that was post-World War II that that started really becoming a thing. Um, so, you know, it's pretty crazy when you look at packaged foods and the messaging and the marketing. Consumers are not like the average Joe is not like a nutritionist and the average Joe doesn't really think very deeply about their food. So if you put the word natural on the box, you know, they might think, Hey, I'm doing pretty good. And the reality is like, no, you're, you're not doing good at all, man. Yeah. <laughs> you need to open your fucking eyes. Cause this is like, you're poisoning yourself. Yeah. And you think you're not cause it says it's got an organic label on it or, or whatever. Um, so I, I don't know, man, it's, uh, it's pretty twisted, but the good thing is I think a lot of people are starting to wake up and think a little bit more about it. Yeah. Do you think it's like innovation and, and trying to get the price down for consumers and food, or do you really think it's just, you know, this notorious way of like really the pharmaceutical industry, basically, is it a way for them to capitalize by continuously deceiving you into bullshit? And this is an opinion, of course, mm -hmm. or do you think that these companies, the crafts of the world are actually just trying to innovate and drop prices for people? No. Uh, that may have been part of the motivation at one point. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of people to feed. I get it. But these companies are constantly um, creating products and then convincing people that they need them. Mm. Like if you go, like you go to the grocery store and you walk down the aisles, like literally you don't need any of it. Like the only thing you need is maybe it's the, some stuff in the produce section and some stuff in the butcher shop section. And I mean, yeah, have a loaf of bread if you want, whatever. But like all this stuff in boxes, you look at, it's an, it's insane it how much stuff there is. Yeah. And you don't need any of it. Yeah. But people are led to believe that they do. And then that stuff is engineered to appeal to people's, you know, addictive uh, uh, tendencies. Sure. Like, dude, I, I know Doritos are shit. But if I'm on a road trip and my kids have some Doritos and I eat one, there's a, there is still something in my brain that's like, hey, that's good. <laughs> I want more. And I know better, but I'm like, you know, you know, and usually I don't, I won't eat them, but yeah, I mean, it, dude, it's, uh, yeah, it's twisted. And so, so when people complain about uh, $34 a pound ribeye or whatever, yeah. it's like, well, you don't need to eat ribeye all the time, first of all. And second of all, like, how much do you spend on, shit that's packaged in a box and wrapped in plastic and how much are you paying per pound for that stuff? Yeah. It's quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And what are you really getting out of it? You know, that's the thing is like, I, I, you know, I'll eat like a pound of ground beef at lunch and like have some cantaloupe or watermelon. And I feel like a million bucks, you know, yeah. until dinner time. Whereas when I used to eat like greens and bread and, you know, casserole, whatever the heck they had in the hot bar. It's, it's, it's a different feeling, you know, and you got to eat a lot more to get satiated. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, specifically, uh, when it comes to sourcing your information, cause it seems like, you know, you said you thought you were healthy, you were eating all this stuff. How do you usually go through validating your information? Like when you figured out that seed oils were garbage or maybe that greens weren't the best way, like it was there just, a eureka moment or do you like test on yourself? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. How you feel? I have conversations like this with people that are a lot smarter than me and like people that are smarter than me and, and qualified to be talking about mm. this stuff and in, 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 a, in, a, in the capacity of advising people or whatever. And, 
you know, those conversations are not always with my, my GP They're They're, you know, I mean, obviously like, um, you know, uh, yeah, I have a lot of customers that are, are doctors or PAs or researchers that really know their stuff. And, and, and I listen to podcasts with really great people on them. And I mean, that, the podcast format's a really great way to, yeah. to get information out there. So, yeah, it really is. Yeah. The only way you can actually long spread a conversation and not yeah. get like a soundbite. Yeah. yeah. I mean, professionally, I'm, I'm a, I'm focused on growing grass and feeding animals yeah. and producing eggs. And, but I have like a, uh, an amateur sort of, you know, passion and interest in the nutritional side of it because I am, I am my core consumer. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I happen to also, you know, our, probably our core customer is not just someone that wants like uh, a marbled ribeye. There's someone that wants clean, nutrient dense food. That's not full of garbage. And, and that's me too. And so, yeah. 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 What about the, um, the, uh, if there is any, if you've ever experienced the pressures on not doing it the clean way or the regenerative way, has that ever come your way? I yeah. mean, I've heard of farmers having, you know, just situation with finances and, you know, the only way they could get through is doing it the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, selling out. I've heard a few examples of that. Like, how, how do you, how have you guys avoided to doing it, quote unquote, the bad way? Well, f- fortunately, we started off not knowing anything. And then our research led us to producing grass. Because fin- in the beginning, I, w- I wanted to be organic. I don't, I don't know. It just sounded good. Sure. And I was like, organic. And I got to find some organic grain for the cattle. And mm. And then it, that that kind of took me down a path of maybe I should be doing grass fed and then you know read why should you be doing that and and then of course we settled on that and and uh, and you know once I had done the research I was like this is a no brainer why would I you know why wouldn't I um, be grass fed but it's it's hard now I, I, what I'm what I was getting at there is that I didn't have a background doing it the tr- traditional way and so I I didn't really have any other uh, point of reference. Um, I think the hard thing is for people that have conventional uh, farming operations, whether it's beef or row crop or whatever, to to um, depart from that method and try something new can be really terrifying and yeah. risky too. And even Gabe Brown in, in the book Dirt to Soil, which is a great book to read about regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming, you know, even he talks about, hey, if you're interested in, in making the transition and you've got a thousand acre row crop farm, like carve out 30 acres and start trying these practices to prove it out to yourself and then ease your farm onto that. Don't don't just cold turkey it, you know, because because you're not going to see the same results year to year if you just do it like that. But for us, um, so uh, it wasn't hard to make the decision to do that. It's been hard to maintain it. Uh, and and the, the the key reason for that is is weather variation. So like for example, uh, this last summer we had drought, uh, really bad drought, and uh, we planted 115 uh, 150 acres of grass and legumes um, for grazing and forage production. So hay production, excuse me, and literally none of it grew, none of it. It cost me, I don't know, 30 grand. And I, I could have just taken $30,000 and lit it on fire and I would have turned out the same same way. Wow. <laughs> okay. And so so what do we do? I, I had all this grass planted for grazing and to make my hay to feed my cattle through winter. And all of a sudden, I'm having to truck in semi-truck loads of alfalfa. Um, we source beet pulp. 
<clears throat> which when farmers grow sugar beets for, I guess, sugar production or molasses production, uh, it's a byproduct of that that's left over. And okay. but it still is a good uh, source of carbohydrates for, for cattle and it's not grain. Um, so alfalfa, beet pulp, and then we bought a ton of last year's hay from people in our area. So, you know, we spent tens of thousands of dollars trucking in feed. And it got hard to find feed. It got hard to find alfalfa because everybody was freaking out. So there was moments where I was like, okay, my plan A was planting all these crops and grazing, you know, high stock density grazing and producing baleage, you know, hay mm -hmm. uh, for my cattle. My plan B, which is where I'm at now, is to source these ingredients <clears throat> and come up with the money to do that. And my plan C is, I guess, just to feed them some lower quality stuff and hope that it rains soon. And eventually, one of your plans is going to have to include some kind of crap you don't want to feed, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I luckily didn't get to that point. Yeah. But it is not easy. And I, and and you know that you know a lot of the conventional guys are like, I don't know how you could do it. Well, they couldn't because they sell their beef on the commodity market and they don't have control over their price. We have pricing power to some degree. So, and we have thankfully really loyal and wonderful customers that care about this stuff. And so if I got to take ribeye from 30 bucks a pound to 34 a pound or ground beef from seven to nine, you know, I can do that. And my, my market that I sell to, my customer base that I sell to will, will go, they might ask questions, but at the end of the day, the, the experience has been, okay, I get it. You know, this matters to me. And, and, you know, I'm not pulling up in a Lamborghini to the farmer's market, you know? <laughs> so, um, but, but it, it is not easy because uh, there is a lot of risk and it, it'd be way easier to keep my cattle fed and gaining weight if I could, you know, source, if I had more freedom to source a wider array of ingredients to do that with. Yeah. Um, but you know, and, and, um, but we don't, but yeah, so, so it, it's, it is hard and it is risky and, you know, um, thankfully we haven't seen a scenario where we had to go to the plan D or whatever and, and break down and feed, you know, crap that we don't want to feed grain yeah. or cotton seed is a big one that gets used a lot, which I don't like, you know, it's a seed, but also cotton is just like a, a crop that's, uh, you know, really hard on the soil and, and generally like there's a lot of chemical used in cotton production. So, so there's no one reason why option D stays as D, right? Like, is it just, is it as simple as just do the right thing or is it just profitably a better thing to do? It doesn't sound like it, especially if you spent 30 grand and you just burnt up. Like, what is it to just stay there and say, I'm going to go through A, B, C, you know, before I even think about D instead of just saying, well, you know what? D is going to be easier. Let's slide up to B. All right. There has to be something, I'm assuming, that keeps you on that right track. Um, I mean, I have a passion for doing it this way. All right, gotcha. I have a passion for producing food this way and for regenerative farming. Yeah. And so, yeah, because if, if we started feeding grain, um, I, I don't know, I, I we wouldn't feel great about it. And I, and I think a lot of our customers would probably choose to go somewhere else to, to try to find grass-fed beef somewhere. Sure. Um and again, like, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to take care of your livestock. So, you know, I, I make this analogy to people like, okay, let's say you're a, a parent that is only going to raise your kids organic and whatever, you know, some sort of 
program you've got from, for your kids that's, you know, you're, you're going to be that hardcore, no sugar, whatever. And then let's say there's some catastrophe in the world and you can't go to Whole Foods anymore or the farmer's market. And the only thing you can access is Taco Bell. Are you going to starve your kids or are you going to feed them the fucking chimichanga? Yeah. <laughs> like, you yeah. Know? And so, and so people have to be realistic about that because there's a lot of people that read books and watch videos about regenerative agriculture or what goes into that. And then they get on online and they get on a high horse about, well, you should do this. And, and it's like, man, at some point, you know, you got to think about what's going to happen here because drought, unexpected, hard freezes, you've got to shell out money to feed your animals in a way that's consistent with your program. And, and I, I mean, it hasn't happened to me, but I could see how it could happen to somebody where they get in a jam and be like, I just bought some corn, some, some cattle feed that's got corn and, and whatever in it. And I don't know that I would demonize that person for that as long as they're just transparent about what they're doing. But you know uh, it's, there's been a lot of times where I've been kind of shitting bricks about, where am I going to be 60 days from now? And I'm, that's, I'm always, everything I'm doing today is generally impacting how I'm going to feed cattle in six months. Yeah. Right now I'm, I'm, I'm making my forage plan for the summer. Yeah. We're going to start planting in two or three weeks. And, um, and, and then that's going to get me my grazing and forage through October, you know? Yeah. And so I could talk your ear off about this stuff, but no, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, and yeah. I'm the person that needs it. Cause yeah, I'm yeah. literally <laughs> dumb to all this. So this is all valuable to me. Um, and, and when it comes to, uh, and like for people that are trying to come in and this is just another question about that type of lifestyle for people that are trying to come in that are thinking like, this is a way to make money. I continue to hear from farmers that margins are literally either slim to none. Like you're kind of working at a loss for the most part here. Um, your thoughts on that? Is it, you know, would you say to somebody, Hey, you should get into, you know, ranching or farming for revenue, or is it more like you should love it before it gets to the revenue part? Well, the problem is it's a, it's a very nuanced business. Okay. And you can, no matter how many books or YouTube videos you you watch, you're not going to really understand everything until you get out and start doing it. And it helps to have a mentor, which which I did. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of cattle raisers and cattlemen out where I am, and and I have neighbors that helped me who are in no way uh, interested or subscribed to my way of going about things. But sure. for you know, when you've got a, a heifer having her first calf and she can't get it out, and it's one in the morning, you really want that that guy down the road to be able to come over and show you how to pull a calf, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. There's a lot of you know when you're no-till drill it breaks down and you've got to replace bearings and you've never done that before. It's, it's helpful to have somebody to help sure. you with that. Yeah. So, um, where, sorry, where was I? So you were asking, um, yeah, like the, the margins and right. Yeah. So, uh, oh, should, yeah. Should you love farming first before you think about the money, the profits of it, or is it actually something that somebody could go into just seeking profits? Um, oh, right. I was talking about how the, the, the nuance, it's heavily nuanced. So, you did, yep, the nuance. Um, yeah, so it's it's hard to kind of get going right off the bat and just do it without having that experience. Yeah. So like for the first, I mean, first four, four and a half years, we did not really make a profit. We were kind of break even, make a little, lose a little. I mean, it was marginal. Um and, and that was terrifying. And there were lots of times when I was like, man, I don't, maybe I was foolish, you know, 
and we've kind of started turning a corner there. Um, but uh, it's I wouldn't do it for the money. Um, if you are primarily interested in making money and accumulating wealth. It's probably easier ways to do it. <laughs> yeah. Buy like an air conditioning HVAC business or, uh, yeah. you know, something, you yeah. know, I mean, there's, you can make money in so many ways. Right. Uh, but, you know, farming is, is you need to love the life and have a passion for that and everything that goes into it. And you need to, you need to be gritty and willing to go, be in the cold mud on Christmas when you'd rather be by the fire with your family. Right. Um, so no, it's, it's a, it's a tough and ironically, the people that are probably best positioned for success are people that have existing, uh, farming operations, more conventional farming operations who understand a lot of that nuance already yeah, and just have to adopt a new way of thinking and, and change some of their practices. But, and, and you see a lot of times the ones, the farms that do a really good job with, with this uh, are farms that are like multi-generational family farms that have 700 acres and infrastructure and tractors and a grandpa that can tell you when you need to plant <laughs> the wheat and all these sorts of things. Right. Um, but, but, but it seems to be, more often than not, the, the new generation people wanting to get involved in it, and and uh, which is great. But uh, yeah, it's it's ironic that the people that are probably best positioned to be successful with this are seem to be some of the people that are least likely to adopt some of this some of this uh, these practices. Although I don't know that that's that's not universally true. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I figured it would, it couldn't be money uh, just because I've heard that so many times. I know how difficult it is to pull off and do well. So I've just like how you yourself or any other type of farmer could stick with it, even though the margins are probably never going to be there or barely there. I've always just figured it has to be a love thing. You got to love this. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And, you know, like, so you can start a farm small scale and do all the work yourself and make a living and work your ass to the bone. Yeah. And that's fine. And that's, that's a good, and that's kind of what we were doing the first couple of years. And, and it's like kind of hard on the marriage. You know, there's a lot of nights we're packing eggs in the kitchen until like 1130. Yeah. And we've got toddlers and it's like, what are we doing? You know? Yeah. And then, but it, to like grow it into, and I'm, I'm a business guy. So I, 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 I like to talk about these details. So just tell me to shut up if I'm going too no. into the minutia, but if you look at it, like if you're an entrepreneur and you want to go start a farm and start like a, a scale, a business that, that you can scale up and uh, which is kind of what we're trying to do. Um, breaking out of that, like I'm the small farm guy and you can make some money, but you're doing all the work. You can't really leave the farm. Um, you're, you're going to farmer's markets every weekend. And if you get sick or a farmer's markets gets canceled, that's like 25% of your weekly, mm. your monthly revenue. Like, it's tough, right? It's doable. And there's a lot of people that do that. It's tough. And there's also not much future in it because once you get too old to be able to do all the physical work yourself, you know, I hope you've got some way to, you know, float yourself through retirement. So I look at it as like, I want to build a business. Um, and, uh, and so I can't do every little thing on the farm to do that. And so transitioning from the small farm, which is, is easier to like, it's, you can do it. Yeah to a business that's, you know, whatever, you know, we're trying to grow our e-commerce business and, and ship more meat off the farm because it's, it's more efficient for us. Um, 
and and we do some wholesale and we go to farmers markets still and we've got the store but yeah it's it's man it's a monster and we're still figuring it all out but uh i think it can be a good business but it's not like i uh, dude Go so, get a Mr. Gaddy's franchise or something. Yeah, snap it a franchise. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> got it. Now, speaking of market access, um, so you you know the e-commerce route, the farmers market route, direct. Um, have you ever entertained or are willing to be entertained like a Whole Foods or ending up or somewhere like that? I don't know the logistics of that, by the way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you need like a certain type of amount, you know, churn out before they even look at you. Yeah. But have you ever thought about getting into stores, or are you perfectly content with? We had our eggs in a major grocery chain for a while, um, and we just didn't have the production to keep up with what they wanted. Okay. We would have had to nix all of our other wholesale accounts, and we didn't want to do that because we kind of built our business off some of those other accounts. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, wholesale's a pretty good chunk of our business, um, but the problem with uh, big grocery stores um, is, you know, it's very expensive to produce what we produce. And that's the thing we had to be honest with ourselves about uh, after the first few years of not making much money or not making any money some years was that like we were apologetic about our pricing, but like our our feed supplier and, you know, our uh, other vendors that we have to buy things from, nobody else is apologizing to us. You know, it's like right. that's the way. And so we had to kind of have a reality check about like, you know, I can't wholesale hamburger at four seventy five. Um, when I can, you know, sell it for $9 at the market, and, right. you know, and, 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 and so even, and even if the guy's buying 2000 pounds of pop and it's a lot of revenue, it's like, there's no profit there. So, um, so with big grocery accounts and stuff that becomes an issue, like, you know, it's, it's hard to be competitive because they've got to make a margin too, you know? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, yeah, we're open to that. But I think for us, what we've, we're finding is that, uh, as a business, we're a much, healthier business and more financially sustainable business that can be there for our customers. If we're selling direct to our customers for the most part. Yeah. We have some great relationships with like farmhouse delivery and farm to table and, and fresh plus grocery in Austin sells our, our beef and, and, and some eggs and, and, you know, there's other, you know, other stores that do, and we love those guys. And, um, uh, but like trying to be a big wholesale, uh, business is probably not best route for for us or for most you know smallish farms yeah yeah i can see where um if you maybe not the smaller grocery chains but as you start getting to the bigger conglomerates i can see where those those start you know giving you non-favorable terms that it favor them um heard of some stories don't remember the details but yeah uh, I, I don't think i've ever heard of anybody that actually got into business with like a whole foods that is super happy about it at the moment <laughs> right like it's always like it started great Right. And then over time, I actually think Will Harris is, is in this list. I just don't remember his details, but yeah, uh, he started with them. I remember him saying that out of his mouth. Got him the first pallet of grass-finished beef, yeah. and, stu- and then the the end of that story was like, you know, fuck them, paraphrasing. He didn't say that. Well, but, they're Amazon now, too, so it's not even yeah. the same. I mean, I think John Mackey's still still there, but, yeah, it's, it's the culture is different, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, so now going into what this, you know, we're talking a bit usually is, is the future money, right? We're talking about Bitcoin now. So you were just telling Marty here, you guys are accepting Oshi um, and you're, and you're about to integrate Bitcoin into your e-commerce store. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So 
what, if any, do you know about Bitcoin and what is your interest in, in, in getting paid in Bitcoin or just knowing about it? Well, so it's funny. So in the same way that I kind of started learning about carnivore or animal-based eating through customers at the farmer's market, I started learning years ago about Bitcoin through customers at the farmer's market as well and kind of opened my, my mind to that because um, crypto is not something I ever really thought a lot about. Um, I'm not typically an early adopter of new stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so, but it, it's, it's interesting. I, I've, uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of folks. We've started accepting Bitcoin uh, through Oshi. And uh, I think it's a really fascinating vehicle for the transfer of value. Um, but that's about it. I don't have a very complicated understanding of, of that, uh, you know, stratosphere. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I've seen, at least from from being a consumer and from, you know, business owners is it brings in a whole brand new crowd. I think that's the surface level easiest thing to say. Like a lot of people want to pay in Bitcoin yeah. and just by you turning that switch on, we'll get newer people. Um, but then the other side of it is, is just the hard money aspect of it. Sort of like, you know, my parents and more accurately, my grandparents cared about gold. Right. As that hard money and didn't really care about the fiat currency because they understood that concept. I think it's just one of those things where somebody who works as hard as you do and, you know, has to do it 24 seven, as you were saying earlier on Christmas Day, you know, the currency that they should be getting paid in should be one that doesn't degrade in value mm -hmm. so that therefore they can choose what to do with it, whether it's to store it, storage, of, you know, value is very good. Um, a lot of people around here call it number go up, right? Because there's a scarcity supply to it. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, is money that can't be debased. Um, and when I first asked you if you accept Bitcoin, it's the excitement of wanting to, um, you know, to use my Bitcoin wallet and pay in Bitcoin. Yeah. But it's a respect thing um, that I think a lot of your clients are probably trying to bring up, which is, hey, Sam, I know you. You're a great dude. I see you every time at the farmer's market, always with a smile. Your product is incredible. Why do you want this shitty green dollar? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the easy answer is because I got to pay bills. Uh, yeah, all, all, yeah. All my bills have to be paid with that shitty green dollar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But then there's one of those things where it's like, well, let me pay you with the gold in this example. Mm -hmm. And then let you decide what you want to do with the gold. Right. Do you want to like trade it for the shitty dollars? Do you right. want to split the percentage, save some? Uh, but money that can't be taken from you and money that can't be debased, I think it's the, 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 the win alternative there for somebody who works as hard as yeah. you do. Uh, and I'm not trying to show you on Bitcoin. I've just, no, from what I, I've seen, I yeah, I, I've, you know, did follow a lot of the, the, you know, the beef initiative guys and, and just have talked to Will Harris personally myself. Have you really? Yeah. I had that great experience. Cool. Uh, he took me around his, his whole property, yeah. which is massive. Um, but yeah, in, in all this, I just started to notice that like, it's, it's an unjust, it's not a fair value for value trade for you to provide me that, you know that beat that grass finish that you worked so hard and didn't want to deviate to plan D as we spoke to, spoke mm -hmm. to earlier, you kept the virtues aligned for me to just give you money that I know for sure is literally losing its value as we exchange it. Right. Really fast. Yeah. Uh, considering what's going on in the world nowadays too. So although maybe I'm maybe adding a little bit more virtuosity than it should be there. That's how I see it. It's like, I want to give you the best value that I can give you in return because I'm here receiving the best value that you can give me in return. Mm -hmm. And that's definition of a value for value, for value exchange. Doesn't, and, and forgive me because I am a bit naive, but uh, in terms of like the value of Bitcoin fluctuates, right? Yes. Yep. And that's something I've had trouble getting comfortable with in terms of holding Bitcoin. 
Um, because yeah, I just, again, it's a marketplace. I don't really understand. Sure. Intimately. And it's probably one that we can't have in this conversation. Cause it really like everybody would tell you that you, you still learn Bitcoin. You never learn Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, but what we do know or what we do, you know, what most people assume is that volatility over time just starts to get less. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that if you look historically at what's happening. So Bitcoin has waves, right? They call them hodl waves. But every single one of those waves that comes around, more and more people hold their Bitcoin. Uh, there's a supply cap to Bitcoin, 21 million right. forever. So therefore, with every wave, we get that effect that we just continue to go up and the volatility becomes less. It becomes more stable. Um, but yes, if sort of like, you know, short-term savings, if you actually, if, you're, if your time preference is to spend this faster, then maybe Bitcoin isn't the best uh, objective. Yeah. But in the example I gave earlier, if I pay you, you take 20% and you hold that with a low time preference and you know that you're going to hold that, maybe even give it to your children, um, you will ultimately win in the long run. And the most important part is, is regardless what legislation or what regulation comes into play, we know for sure that there's nobody that can take this from you or your children. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, that is key. And that, I mean, yeah. that, that's one of the attractive things about, about it is the ability to buy and sell uh, with a currency that is not, you know, in, in a way that's not necessarily controlled or regulated uh, yeah. like that. I, um, I also like, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I drive around my farm and I look out on, my chickens and my cows. And to me, I'm like, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got these animals. That's value right there. hundred percent. I, uh, it's funny. So my brother is married to a girl from South Korea, a woman from South Korea, Mary, my, my, my sister-in-law and her mom is from like a rural village in South Korea, grew up like on a farm, you know, and, uh, she's probably in her late sixties now. And she came, they came to the States to visit a couple summers ago. And I took them around the farm and, and my brother is a Harvard MBA yeah. baller. Yeah. I mean, he, money manager in Singapore, like he does, he's a great guy, uh, but he, he does well. And uh, w way, probably, I don't know, but way better than me, I'm sure. Uh, well, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and, but here I am on this farm with some land and some cattle and stuff. And she shows up and she's like, Oh, you're rich. She said in <laughs> Korean, but it's like, she's like, doesn't give a shit about my brother and his hoity toity job. She sees me with all my cattle and she's like, wow, you're rich. You have, look at all these cows. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. And all assets. Like, yeah. So, uh, but I, the real marker of like, uh, what makes something, uh, in, intrinsically valuable is like, uh, how many people are willing to trade in that, you know, hundred percent currency. And so, yeah. And, and so, yeah, I think it's important that if, if what's, what I found out that I didn't understand in the beginning was that you don't have to sit in, on a, and hold a bunch of Bitcoin if you're concerned about the risk of, of the value fluctuating to accept Bitcoin. Right. As a business, you can accept Bitcoin. And if you want to trans, uh, transfer it straight into dollars, you can. Correct. And yeah. so I think uh, hopefully more and more businesses will, will uh, you know, be open to that because it's kind of a no brainer. Because there's, because again, there's, there's a demand for consumers that want to be able to use Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. And there's benefits as a the, the easy one, and Michael's probably explained this to you because I actually uh, learned it from Michael, which is true, is, is that like now you eliminate those, you know, like the Visa railways, right, and the Fiat railways, which, you know, as you know, there's always a middleman in between taking a 3.5 or taking right. a 3.9. Right. So now, you know, you charge me 49.99 and you get 49.99. Right. You don't get 47 and some change or whatever it may be. 
Now, in return, as a business owner, you could give that right back to the consumer. And you can say, hey, well, now I'm going to either sell you lower price uh, or I'm going to give you some type of discount or anything along that line right. because you never actually lost that that top, which it turns more because... There are some platforms that charge fees, though, right? I, but they're way lower, like a percent or something. If like you're that. using legit Lightning Railways, which is layer two of yeah. Bitcoin, you're paying like a half a penny. Okay, You're not okay. paying anything. Yeah. So it's it's damn near free. Yeah. Um, if you're on-chain, which is, you know, every 10 minutes a block... Uh, then you'll have to pay the minor fees. Uh, and then most businesses, especially at farmer's markets, are just using Lightning because it's instant settlement and it's damn near free on both ends. Right. Um, so, the, yeah, there is initial value in that. It's it's not just about the storage of wealth and holding it for a long time. Uh, but ultimately, once you start, and you, I'm sure you know plenty of this, once you start understanding that money can be fair, right, that money could be discreet, that money could be transferred around the world instantaneously without, you know, all the banks in the way. And once you actually have understand what custody of wealth actually is, because mm. not to be morbid, but in the example of your property, well, the government could just come and take your property away. Right. They could, you know, in a worst case scenario, morbid, they could slaughter the animals and take anything and then kick you off the property. Could they? I mean, you have your guns to defend, I'm sure. I do have guns. Absolutely. Uh, and once again, this is going very morbid, but it is theirs. The land is theirs, um, as, for, as far as I think. Or you would have to beat them at the game that they're best at, and that's violence. Yeah, right? yeah, right. I mean, I, I'm no match for the, the, the military or whatever, right. but it, it, I mean, America would get pretty nasty if, if it got to the point where the government was taking uh, farmers' land and kicking them off and killing their livestock. Which is probably why they don't do it. They yeah, understand sure. the, the, yeah. the events of that. But do they have the violence and, and power to do so? I'm sure they do. They do much worse. Um, but that's not to say that that's going to happen, nor do I want that to happen. Yeah, right, no. Uh, but ultimately... Uh, being able to separate yourself from that and being able to understand that with just 12 words in my head, I can go anywhere in the world and recover my family's wealth Yeah, in that situation. Yeah. Um, I think that's important. And trustless exchange. So I don't need to be banked. You don't need to be banked. Right. You don't need to know my name. You don't need to know anything about me, my debit card numbers or anything. Yeah. You don't even have to trust me for that matter. Yeah. You just have to know that once I scan that, you get your confirmation and we could yeah. just go about our business. Yeah, it's I, I, I do get annoyed if I have to send a wire transfer to somebody and first I have to tell some lady exactly what I'm doing it for. And yeah, it's like, just what it's my money. Just send it. Get get permission. Off my back. You got to ask them for I everything. I always tell them something weird. Like I'm buying 5,000 puppies. I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll stop you like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah, but yeah. Asking permission for your money is one of those things. Bank runs is a really big thing. Um, and we're, I think we're less sensitive about this stuff, um, here in America because we don't have the problems that are yeah. you know, all over the world. So remittance is a big one. Like, you know, I'm from Puerto Rico, which thankfully is not, it's still part of the U S but those islands around there, if you want to go and send grandma a hundred dollars because grandma needs to finish her rent or pay for some food. Well, now you have to use Western union right? Right. and Western union takes 20 and then 20, the, I'm, it's just a number. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, I don't know. They'll probably just take a big piece of it. Yeah. Uh, some number that they shouldn't get because these are all fake numbers that are just right. being pushed around. And then the other side of that is, you know, grandma's voyage, which is she may have to take the bus to Western Union because she doesn't have a car. Yeah. And then criminals are criminals. They know to hang outside the Western Union because you're probably coming out of here, right? So that whole like lit line of things that can go wrong versus, hey, grandma, you could just download this quick app or this quick software doesn't need your name doesn't care how old you are doesn't care what race you are right. or what language you speak i'm going to send you a hundred dollars right now mm -hmm. that you can convert into the euro or to whatever right. you want yeah um so 
long term, we you know the benefits of holding Bitcoin are, are immense. It's what we call like a serial wealth, if you right. think about it. Um, like our children or are expected to be will be you know rich beyond their wildest dreams and actually have custody of that. That's cool, but there is day to day practice and use to it. Uh, and I agree with you. I hope more businesses start doing it. But I will say, as somebody that's coming from Massachusetts, it doesn't exist up there. Really? And down here, it's I damn near get haircuts with it. I pay for beef with it. Like so, it is happening, and it's happening really fast. And I think now is the business advantages that you can get: new clientele, yeah. uh, saving the visa charges, all that good stuff. But also understanding it and using it will, you know, propel your decision making going forward, uh, and seeing it for what it really is, which is the greatest assets I think humans have ever seen. Yeah, it's clear that there's uh, a movement of of people that want to be able to transact, control their money, control the food they're eating, what they're putting in their body, because there's a lot of other people that have their hands in all of that, right? Like like you said, in the banking system uh, and in the food production systems. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a, a core part of that community that wants to just not have people up in their shit. Right. You know, yeah, no single points of failure is what yeah. we like to say here. It's like you got to be versed, you got to be separated. Um, and that's what we think Bitcoin's going to do. But like, there's a lot of companies like Cloud Health, um, yeah. that are like basically, you know, using the, the, the trustless, um, environment of Bitcoin to actually fix current problems like healthcare. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I won't even spill you on them, but check out Crowd Health because it's one of those examples. Beef Initiative is one of them. And yeah. it's, it's these, these, these people that are figuring out, well, food is fucked, healthcare is fucked. But sound, good money can fix it. And they've actually applied that to it and are successfully fixing these things. So it's very fascinating. That's but cool, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a big movement, but it's, it's, it's all, you know, I don't know if you noticed when you walked in here, fix the money, fix the world is kind of like the gist of it all. Because uh, most things pretty much stem from the fiat dollar right. and, and the collapse of it or the impending collapse of it. Uh, but I won't continue to bore you on the Bitcoin You're stuff. You're not boring me at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, we got to talk more about it. Sam, uh, before, one last thing that I would be hard-pressed if I didn't bring up is um, you have a marketing background. I did a little bit of digital marketing, like Facebook ads and stuff like that. Nowhere near having my own company in that sense. But like, I found that I needed to leave that because I wasn't content doing that type of thing because I thought it was really predatory. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on like, you know, is there really a non-predatory way to do marketing correctly? Hmm. Well, man. Yeah, there's so many ways to go about it. I mean, what what I was doing was stuffing crap in people's faces that they probably didn't really care to see. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, so autoplay video ads or in my early days, pop-ups. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, that you was were one of, those guys, huh? one of those guys. <laughs> and, uh, sorry. So, um, and you're like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I suppose predatory, uh, you know, yeah, there are, but I, I think it's, it's, you know, people will do whatever they can get away with and whatever they'll get a response for and human nature being what it is, people respond to uh, certain messages and stimuli and it's like, it's kind of toxic, man. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is to that. I mean, I, I try not to do it, but I'll find myself flipping on, I don't have TikTok, but uh, yeah, Facebook <laughs> videos or YouTube videos. And it's just like, 
after a minute, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? And it's the same, you know, and ads pop up in there. And, I, you know, we don't watch TV at the house. We have Netflix or whatever, but we don't have cable. But, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, so, some crazy amount of ad dollars spent in the U.S. are drug advertisers, for example, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. But I don't know how to answer your question. To do it in a way that's not predatory. Yeah, because I figure eventually, even if you start with the most humblest of intentions, I still think ultimately you need to know more about the person you're trying to sell to than they know about themselves, if that makes sense. So well, like that we've gotten better at that for sure. I mean, with, right. you know, there's a lot of uh, data out there that's used very effectively for targeting. Um, right. And that's what my thing was. I was in Facebook ads and it's like, I shouldn't be having this pool of people to have it. I mean, it was like, do you want to advertise to the lady who just had a kid whose birthday was yesterday and she had a kid three months ago, but is married to it. It, it was just, and watches this and, I was just like, I don't even think, I mean, they don't really tell you this person's name, but the fact that I could stick an ad yeah. in front of this person's face, I, I found it very like predatory. But you, but you know, at the same, in, at, I can see that. Yeah. But at the same time, like that person, you know, is allowing their data to be shared. They, mm -hmm. they put all their personal info on some private company's platform for anybody to see. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, um, uh, we've got a choice to make that person makes a choice and granted it's like addictive. And so you could, you could say, well, companies like Facebook are, are, you know, uh, manipulating people and, you know, doing something that's not good. You could also say, you know, like in the same way that like, you know, uh, the big food companies are producing food that's not good for you. And, and it's, it is a choice. Yeah. And I think the key is like, uh, Based on how things are going right now, can we expect like regulators to just correct all the all that crap? No, because uh, the regulators are controlled by you know lobbyists, and and there's there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there that's going to make it hard for for that to work. So, uh, disseminating information in like this and to get people thinking differently and making better choices. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think most people don't even understand the deal that they've made with Facebook or like nobody yeah. reads the terms, man. So like. It's very easy to say, you know, which I, I agree with. And I say people all the time is that, is that, listen, you're willingly giving them this information. But I think most people, to be surprised, are still surprised by how much they are giving away and not knowing that. Because they find a new clever way to do it every other, you know, month or so. There's a new update that does this. And Yeah, I mean, you know, the so, best way would be to just get a flip phone and, yeah. and send letters in the mail, but it, that's not going to happen. Well, Bitcoiners have solved that too, but I'll save yeah. you on that. Yeah, yeah. They've done this thing with like, with like Android phones where you could like basically install an OS yeah. that, you know, gets the bug out. Basically it's the easiest way to put that. So like, yeah. And humans are like weird creatures, man. Yeah. Like if we get too comfortable, we stop, uh, we stop really living life to its fullest. And, yeah. and we just kind of, have you seen the movie Idiocracy? No, dude, it's uh, a judge movie okay. uh, from years ago. And it's basically about how people just get really stupid yeah. uh, in the future. Um, and, <laughs> and like, they're just like, you know, uh, Luke Wilson's in it and, and they're talking about, uh, he's like the main character and he's just a freaking idiot. And uh, all the water fountains have like uh, some branded like electrolyte drink in them anymore. Nobody drinks water anymore. And, <laughs> And, and they try to get the guy to drink a glass of water. Somebody from present day goes, I'm not going to get, and, and lands there and he's in the future and everybody's stupid. And, and he's like, we're going to get some water. And the guy's like, water, how would you want water? We've got this stuff. And he's like, 
yeah, but he's like, it's got electrolytes, you know, yeah. everybody's just stupid. Uh, yeah. That's kind of what we're becoming. Yeah. 100%. You know? Way too fast too. Uh, yeah. All right, Sam, appreciate the time, man. <laughs> Thank you, man. Yeah. Please let the, the, the eggs, we didn't talk about the eggs, but they're the best in town. <laughs> I don't even have to, I think everybody agrees. Um, but where can anybody listening that's in Austin pick up some of your product and uh, follow you anywhere you want to send them? <clears throat> well, we've got the local pastures store on Old Torf Street, uh, localpastures.farm. You can get our stuff there seven days a week. Uh, it's a joint venture with Bellevue Farm, our good friends. Um, and then you can pre-order on our website to pick up at the markets. You can pre-order, pick up at the farm for eggs. Uh, or anything and then of course we ship all of our meats nationwide so amazing and soon to be accepting bitcoin soon I'm to be accepting bitcoin i'm sorry i'm gonna keep harping you on it no every bitcoiner is i'm coming. sure you hear it every time you're the farmer's market yeah yeah <laughs> so soon enough yeah it's it's happening yeah well we appreciate y'all as always you know where to find talking a bits value for value is the way that you can provide the value for receiving the value check us out on fountain uh, Breeze, any of those apps that support that. And we're all on all the legacy platforms, YouTube and all that. But we want to move you over to the Bitcoin standard of media because who knows how long we'll exist on those platforms. Appreciate y'all as always. Sam, appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. Take care, y'all.